Hello, and welcome to the Why We Argue podcast, the Future of Truth edition. This season of the podcast is produced by the Future of Truth, which is a project based at the University of Connecticut Humanities Institute. It explores what truth is, where it's going, and why it matters for our democracy. The project is made possible by generous funding from the University of Connecticut and the Henry Luce Foundation. The podcast features discussions with publicly minded thinkers about the cultural and political role of concepts like truth, fact, expertise, and information. Today, my guest is Kasim Kassam. Kasim is professor in the Department of Philosophy at the University of Warwick. His research focus is epistemology, which is the area of philosophy that deals with topics pertaining to knowledge, how it's acquired, and how it's shared. His most current work is devoted to analyzing the various ways in which the pursuit of knowledge can be subverted. This has led him to investigate the idea of intellectual vices, habits of thought that systematically lead us astray. Now, you can follow Kasim on Twitter at Q Kasim, uh, uh, Kasam, uh, that's one word. I'm going to spell that out, Q-C-A-S-S-A-M, one word. Now, I invited Kasim on the program today to talk about conspiracy theories, which is the subject of his most recent book. Hi, Kasim. Hi, Bob. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to be here. Well, um, thanks for joining us today. So, there's a lot of talk, uh, especially in the States, but I suspect uh, in the UK as well, um, about conspiracy theories. And uh, indeed, in the States, there's still a lot of people asserting that the 2020 US election was in some or other way a vast conspiracy of one kind or another. Um, so maybe one place to begin uh, our, our, our chat today is just with, with at the ground floor, as it were. Um, what's a conspiracy theory? Um, well, the place I want to get to ultimately is, is to say that uh, conspiracy theories are basically forms of political propaganda. Uh, so if you think of, um, you know, the election was stolen conspiracy theory, that seems to me to be a straightforward piece of um, political propaganda um, pro Trump propaganda. Um, not very difficult to to see that that's what's going on in that case. Uh, but usually, when people start to talk about conspiracy theories, they start much further back. So they start off with the idea that um, look, a conspiracy theory is just a theory that explains a significant political event by reference to the actions of a small group of conspirators. I mean, that seems to be. Um, a fairly neutral, almost bland uh, conception of what a conspiracy theory is. Uh, but the problem with that approach, in my view, is that it's far too undiscriminating. Um, so if you think about the official report of the 9-11 Commission, uh, so that blames 9-11 on the actions of a small group of Al-Qaeda conspirators uh, working together in secret to carry out the 9-11 attacks. So if you if you accept the, the sort of bland um, definition of a conspiracy theory as effectively just a theory about a conspiracy, then you're going to be forced to say that the official view of 9-11 is as much a conspiracy theory as you know, the theory that 9-11 was an inside job. Uh, but my intuition is that actually um, these are two very different theories and that although they're both theories 
about a conspiracy, um, in the one case a conspiracy by the Bush administration and the other a conspiracy by al-Qaeda, um, I don't think it's it's helpful or plausible to think of these theories as um, uh, on, on a par. So, so I want to say that, that um, uh, I think in keeping with ordinary usage, that the inside job theory, now that's a real conspiracy theory, um, whereas the report of the 9-11 Commission isn't a, 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 what I call a big C, big T conspiracy theory. It's just a theory about a conspiracy. Um, so the uh, example that you started out with, um, uh, the, the um, uh, theory that the election was stolen or the or QAnon, I mean, these are all examples of what I call big C, big T uh, conspiracy uh, theories. Um, and I think it's important to, to, to kind of focus on conspiracy theories in that, in that narrower sense. Sure. You know, is there a distinction um, also to be drawn within uh, what you just called sort of big C, big T conspiracy theories? Um, a distinction between the kinds of conspiracy theories in that sense that um, aim nearly exclusively, I would guess, at providing an explanation of some momentous event that has occurred, um, like sort of the, the, the 9-11 was an inside job kind of uh, conspiracy theory. And on the other hand, conspiracy theories that involve a forward-looking or predictive element. So one of the things that um, is now still unfolding in the United States, among lots of other things still unfolding, is um, how QAnon believers, um, how believers in that big C, big T conspiracy theory, have um, been trying to reconcile uh, the you know, sort of what we might call the lack of fit between what the theory said was going to happen on January sixth, I'm sorry, on January twentieth and January sixth, uh, and then you know those predictions, um, I, I suppose are un, well. I, I don't want to use the word undeniably. Seems you know, to me are undeniably the predictions just undeniably just didn't come to pass. Um, is that, you know, it strikes me that um, many of the garden varieties of big C, big T conspiracy theories are ex almost exclusively backward looking. Um, do you see that that's an important, so, you know, what, what are the, what are believers in the QAnon conspiracy theories supposed to do now? <laughs> yeah, 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 no, that's a great, that's actually a great question and a great distinction. Um, I mean, I, I think it's absolutely true that that um, what you might call vintage conspiracy theories, you know, so about 9-11 or the assassination of President Kennedy or the moon landings. I mean, these are all theories about a particular event that has already happened. Um, and I, I think there's a sense in which, you know, these theories are in their own way and in their own terms trying to offer a kind of explanation of what actually happened. Um, but as you say, uh, I mean, the theories that, that, that uh, we're now talking about, like QAnon, um, isn't isn't so much focused on a particular event that has that that has happened. Uh, it it it's focused on a kind of um, 
something that's going on all the time in the background and that is going to come to a head at some future point. And so there's there's a you know there's a kind of predictive element of these theories. And they're they're a bit like you know they're a bit like um, uh, you know these cults that predict that the world is going to end at midnight on you know ne- on next Thursday, uh, and yeah. then the world doesn't end at midnight on Thursday. And then they have to kind of backtrack <laughs> and say, oh sorry, we went we misread the signals. It's actually supposed to be you know Thursday in a year's time. Um, and so you then have this, you know, this 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 kind of bizarre process um, uh, of, of trying to make, you know, make uh, what's happened fit the theory. And a- actually, what happens is I, certainly what has happened with with QAnon is is that I think a lot of at least some uh, QAnon believers actually just gave up and actually just you know started posting stuff about how they felt let down and they didn't know what to think anymore. But the hardcore, of course, tried to find a way to you know to to reconcile what had happened. With their with their own uh, theory, yeah. So you know, it's it's it, it's interesting in that um, those sort of what we might call um, I don't know, maybe calling them eschatological is you know is a little bit too um, too grand. But these sort of forward looking uh, conspiracy theories, um, you know, do have as you just suggested, like it seemed to me to to sort of blur the line between. Uh, uh, um, or incorporate something of the kind of doomsday religious cult or the religious cult, right? The, you know, uh, in, into the theory. Um, uh, and, uh, which I guess, you know, um, yeah, I remember just looking at, um, as the inauguration was in fact taking place, uh, just watching, um, social media feeds of people were reporting, uh, what was being, um, sort of posted uh at you know parlor and some other um uh you know spaces online where QAnon conspiracy theory believers were congregating uh and um the messages there were were, were pretty interesting like people mm. posting i can't believe that we just all got duped yeah. um this can't be this isn't supposed to be happening um yeah. what you know were we play? Have we all been played? Yes. Uh, and yes. so they had this sort of, um, you know, the the. It was interesting to see some of the more familiar kinds of, um, what's the right way to put it? Some of the more familiar kinds of sort of epistemic anxieties about being misled mm. or being duped, mm. all came out, and um, so which leads me to wonder, like, what, what's your view about, um, uh. You know what? How do conspiracy theories, um, you know, play on that vulnerability that we have? You know, these the con- believers in conspiracy theories. It seems to me aren't, um, in a way, it's kind of like cult members. They're not. They don't start off, you know, having sort of, be, you know, become entirely unhinged from reality. What gets them mm-hmm. into the theory is often. Um, you know, sort of garden variety and otherwise admirable kinds of epistemic traits, like wanting to get to the bottom of things and not being, you know, not being trustful or, or blindly loyal to just what people in power say. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how, you know, on your view, how people get into conspiracy thinking? Well, I think there are so many, so many different routes into it. Um, there, there is certainly that sort of quite respectable sounding route, which is, you know, being questioning of people in power and not believing everything that, uh, you know, the mainstream media tells you. Um, so that's, that's, that's one, uh, one route into it. Um, but I, I think when you look at you know, QAnon, for example, um, 
you really need to understand that in terms of uh, people's broader political outlooks and agendas. I mean, obviously, Q- QAnon is going to be a theory that um, uh, you know targets essentially uh, senior Democrats um, and other 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 kind of so-called establishment figures, and it's a theory that is um, appealing to the far right, uh, the far right wing of the Republican Party. Um, so I think the biggest risk factor for somebody to end up as a Q, as, as a QAnon conspiracy theorist is not going to be, you know, a particular set of epistemic uh, character traits or a particular set of psychological traits. I think the biggest risk factor is just going to be on the far right to be on the far right on, on the Trump wing of the of the Republican Party. Now, I mean, you know, maybe there's a further story to be told about about the traits or um, characteristics that you know, predispose someone to be on that wing of the Republican Party. But that's a different question. So it seems to me that, you know, these th- th- this sort of theory is, 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 is first and foremost, it's about, it's about a, a, a political, um, political agenda. So, I mean, Trump, of course, himself started saying long before the election that, that, that if I, lo- I, there's no way I can lose. And if, if, if I lose, that can only be because of fraud. So he was preparing the ground uh, for 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 not accepting the the result and and that isn't i mean you know in a way to talk about that as a conspiracy theory is ludicrous that's just trump um trying to you know trying to um strengthen <laughs> his own you know his own his own position and, and give himself an excuse not to accept the result of the election and lots of uh, the more fanatical trump supporters um you know just couldn't believe they couldn't accept that trump could actually lose and lose big actually uh and the only way that they could, you know, they right. could they could deal with this was was by means of this theory. So there is an element of kind of, you know, the, 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 there is a sort of epistemological element, but I think there's a huge political element as well. Yeah. So that gives us a nice segue because you know one of the distinctions that you insist upon um, uh, in a lot of your recent work is that we distinguish between producers and consumers of conspiracy theories. Um, so can you tell us why you think that's such an important distinction to keep in mind? Well, so the way I got to this was that there's a question that if you work on conspiracy theories, there's a question that everyone asks you, which is, um, why do people believe conspiracy theories? You know, why do people believe in conspiracy theories? And, you know, the more I got to thinking about this question, the more problematic, uh, it, it seemed to me to assume that people do believe conspiracy theories. So I was thinking of, um, so think about the person, the first person or group of people who started putting about conspiracy theories about the Sandy Hook uh, elementary school shootings, right? Now, I mean, I take it that the the Sandy Hook theory is simply an outright fabrication. It It has no basis in reality, whatever. And I don't myself believe that the, that the, that the person who came up with that theory or the people who started to promote that theory initially um, believed it themselves. I think it, I think the theory served a completely other purpose, which was, you know, to, I mean, I guess to preempt calls for greater gun control um, in the light of that, in the light of that shooting. So, so, so that led me to the idea that, you know, you, when you think about conspiracy theories, you need to think about the originators or the producers of these theories who comes up with them, in the first place, and you know what what what's their agenda? What are they up to when they promote these these theories? And you don't need to assume that they actually believe these theories. I mean, does Alex Jones believe 
believe his theories? I mean, who knows? But you can perfectly well explain his pronouncements without probably assuming not. that he believes I mean, yeah, that. I, I have to think probably not, right? I mean... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when, when, of course, when these people are challenged in court cases, um, you know, for example, by the parents of kids killed at Sandy Hook, of course, in court, they say, oh, well, we didn't, I didn't mean it literally. Uh, and 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 uh, so if you think of so if you think of Infowars as essentially a kind of um, well, it's selling products, right? And and that's where it I think it makes a lot of a lot of its money. Um, and of course, it, you know, if you're trying to sell products to a particular group of people, you know, maybe uh, and these are sort of survivalist products, for example, then a good way to uh, sell these products is to you know is to peddle conspiracy theories. So that's you know so that's so when it comes to pr- you know producers, I want to say they may or may not believe their own theories, but I think by and large they don't. Um, they have incentives to promote these theories regardless of what they believe, and the incentives are either political or financial. Then you have um, the people I call consume, uh, consumers of conspiracy theories. Now, cons- now by consumers, I I mean. Um, um, again, I don't necessarily mean people who believe them, but people who are interested in them, people who discuss them, people who retweet these theories without necessarily being, um, you know, being committed um, uh, tr- true believers. Although some, you know, some undoubtedly are. Now, in their case, if you say, well, you know, do they believe these theories? Well, I, I would suggest that some do and some don't. Um, you know, again, if you're asking about those who do believe these theories, why they believe them, I mean, why would anybody believe the Sandy Hook uh, conspiracy theory? Well, they would believe it if they right. do believe it, I think, because it fits in with other, you know, with other concerns that they have of, you know, about guns and um, freedom and whatever else that, you know, the far right is very exercised by. So, I, but I, I, I do think that it, you know, although this is a kind of very approximate, you know, distinction and a person can be, you know, can be a producer of, one theory and a consumer of another theory. Um, nevertheless, I think it's helpful to think in terms of producers and consumers. One question I, I, I wanted to ask in relation to this, um, and I don't know whether there's any data on uh, on on a, a psychological tendency that might um, help explain what I'm about to mention, but it seems to me that um, and and. Maybe this is just more obvious when you are are watching things unfold over social media. Um, it seems to me that there's a tendency uh, to sort of the wilder the claim, the looser the epistemic or evidentiary standards are taken to be. Mm. So, you know, in some of these communities, it seems as if, you know, just think about the more wild aspects of QAnon, you know, yeah. lizard people and blood drinking and um, uh, aliens and space lasers. You know? mm. Uh, mm. And it seems as if um, part of the um, part of the profile, at least of some of uh, these, what we might think of as sort of more scopic or, you know, comprehensive conspiracy theories, sort of, um, the people who are either projecting it or producing it or or the people who are uh, the, the the true believers yeah. somehow get into a a trade or, or sort of get into a, a cognitive habit of thinking that um y- you know what what looks to us like the wilder the claim um the lower the sta- the lower the threshold for evidence has to be 
Um, do, you, do, do you do you find that yourself, or and if you do, what, do you have any thoughts about why that, <laughs> how that's supposed to, how that works? Yeah. So, so uh, I think that's an interesting question because it, it it connects with something that people often say about the rise of you know um, conspiracy theories in politics in the last few years. So, so one thing that people say is that well, the thing about these guys is that you know they don't care about the truth. Um, you know that people who believe in QAnon, QAnon conspiracy theory uh, uh, don't, just don't care about the truth, and I, I, I want to say that actually, you know, it, that isn't right. That many of them do care about the truth, and and they they care, you know, they care whether the QAnon theory is is is, is true or not. Their problem is not that they don't care about the truth. But that they are absolutely terrible at distinguishing be- between good and bad evidence, um, and that they, as you say, their evidentiary standards uh, with respect to these more outlandish theories are completely uh, inappropriate. Completely inappropriate. Um, now, I, whether there's any psychological research on on you know on that, I I, I don't know. But but it do, it does seem to me to be. Um, well, I, th- I think it's a substantive question, actually, that, you know, whether whether all of this is really about, you know, post-truth or whether it's about people who care about the truth actually being very bad at, dis- at, at, at distinguishing between what's true and what's false. I mean, maybe in practice it all comes to the same thing, but but um, I think conceptually they are, they are very different matters. That seems right. I guess the, the, the interesting phenomenon sort of baked into this is um, – Conspiracy theory believers, it seems to me, just again as a kind of interloper, sort of like I watch this, I don't, I don't study it, um, but they they hold the um, they hold those who would dismiss the conspiracy theory, and they hold those who they their theory tells them are part of the conspiracy to pretty rigid. Uh, evidentiary standards, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. You know, when they're when they're on the attack, you know, they, you know, they. I mean, just look at the, what the 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 my pillow guy, um, you know, what he has produced. Uh, I don't know if you saw his his little documentary, but what he has produced to try to show that the voting machines were rigged. Yeah. Now, you know, in one sense, you could say it's all nonsense because it's large, largely, you know, it's, it's fabricated. In the other sense, you say, well, wait a minute, now th- th- it, it's all fabricated. I'll grant all that. But it is, you know, an, an attempt to hold someone to super demanding evidentiary standards. Like, why yeah. did this happen at this time? Look at the and there are charts and there are all kinds of other things. So the idea that you know, um, some version of the kind of like you know, beliefs need evidence, and you know, you need to proportion the belief to the evidence. I mean, some version of those sort of standard epistemic thoughts you know, are kind of, you know, conspiracy theory believers are kind of at home with them when they're, you know, sort of when they're on the attack, when, when they're, when they're, when, when they're going after the the targets. And then somehow they all drop, you know, all those standards drop somehow when it comes to their own positive commitments. That's the weird, um, the weird phenomenon that seems, um, uh, seems part of how these, uh, these, these sort of intellectual communities work. Does that seem right? Yeah, yeah. So when it comes to the, you know, the the official view or the official account, which they're trying to undercut, I mean, they become almost Cartesian skeptics, you know, that it's sort of, they apply, 
such high, yeah, such high right. epistemic standards in those cases that it's actually impossible to, to prove to their satisfaction that the thing that the official account says happened happened in the way that it said. Um, but when it comes to their own theories or to other conspiracy right. theories, of course, the standards are completely different. And, and I think this this kind of bears on something that people often say about right. um, you know conspiracy theories, which is that you know in a way they they seem quite epistemically virtuous. You know, they seem to be you know, displaying, you know, virtues like being skeptical and thinking for themselves and open-minded and so on. Um, and, 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 you know, you can certainly look at, look, at, uh, look at what they say about the official account and see an element of those traits. But, but you know, they just go out of the window when it comes to other, other conspiracy theories. So, that, so there's a really odd sort of dualism um, in, 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 in their approach where they apply right. one set of standards to one type of theory and a completely different set of standards or indeed no standards that one can detect to, to, to other theories, the ones that they like. Well, uh, so uh, we've got about five minutes. Um, I wanted to make sure, though, that we get to um, some sort of prescriptions. Now, it looks as if, just as we were saying, that certain um, otherwise admirable epistemic processes and traits um, or in a way sort of targeted or, or, or opportunistically sort of preyed upon uh, by conspiracy theories. Uh, the desire to know, a healthy skepticism, the interest in holding, you know, speaking truth to power and not just being a, a, a blind follower. Uh, all of these uh, are traits and um, uh, dispositions that are epistemically in lots of contexts, maybe most contexts, you know, pretty commendable. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about how we might combat the ways in which um, – might combat conspiracy theories by looking more at the ways in which otherwise admirable traits, intellectual traits, are kind of targeted by them? Well, I, I think for a start that, that it, it's very hard to um, persuade uh, a subclass of conspiracy theories to give up their theories. I mean, so there are the, you know, the, the, the hardcore true believers. Um, I, I don't think there's anything to be gained by trying to engage, trying to engage with them. Uh, and anyone who's tried it will realize that, that it, 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 it leads absolutely nowhere. I think the people we should be concentrating our attention on are the people that I call conspiracy curious. So these are, um, uh, con conspiracy theory consumers rather than producers who may not be committed to conspiracy theories or to any particular conspiracy theory, but, you know, who say things like, well, you know, uh, it could be like that, right? Or that sounds kind of pretty interesting, or I'm not really sure why I shouldn't, you know, why I shouldn't believe that and so on. And I think, it, you know, that's where one needs to concentrate one's attention. Now, I think in this case, um, it, it's a mistake to think that you are really going to get anywhere by saying, you know, talking about the intellectual virtues that are necessary. You know, it's talking, you're know, talking about, you know, the need to be more critical and skeptical and so on. I mean, that's all that's all fine, but I, I think in in practical terms, um, it isn't very effective because, of course, these people will say, but yeah, but I am, I am being critical, I am being skeptical, I am being open minded. Aren't you being closed minded for you know for sticking to the to the conventional view? So I suggest a kind of different strategy with the conspiracy curious, which is to actually get them to focus their attention on the conspiracy theory producers. 
right? And to get them to ask the same questions about the producers of conspiracy theories as they ask about, you know, the, you know, the deep state and the establishment. Um, so, you know, so the a kind of classic question they ask um, um, is, is you, you know, who benefits, right? So they say, well, who benefited from 9-11? And that's part of an argument, part of a narrative, which is supposed to make it, you know, more plausible that the Bush administration was somehow behind it. So what I'd want to say is, look, well, why don't, you know, why don't you think about who benefits from these conspiracy theories, right? Who's putting them forward? What's in it for them? Um, and actually looking at, you know, uh, the amounts of money that are made by um, people like Alex Jones, looking at, you know, the political agenda of the people close to Trump and so on, and actually trying to get people to see that, that you know, they, that, that, these theories are being promoted, they're being marketed by people who have a massive political and financial vested interest in these theories being marketed. Uh, and so what I'd want to say, what I'd want to say to, to you know, to the conspiracy curious is, is, is two things. I mean, number one, you know, uh, you have to be really careful that you aren't being taken for a ride by these people, right? And that's exactly what the some of the QAnon f- folks delivered. And the other thing I would say um, is 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 something that used to be said in the era of Watergate, which is you know follow the money, uh, and and conspiracy theories right. promoting conspiracy theories is is business. You know, it's 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 political business. It's business in a kind of more financial sense. So so I I, I call this I'd call this strategy the strategy of sort of outing, um, of of actually outing the people who produce these theories and circulate them. So that's one part of the outing strategy. I mean, the other part of the outing strategy, which I'm you know talked about quite a bit in, in in my book on conspiracy theories is particularly with respect to people who don't have strong ideological commitments political commitments people who maybe see themselves as politically middle of the road is to is to is to r- remind them or point out to them the extent to which you know conspiracy theories historically have been connected with um uh, extremist political agendas of one sort or another. I mean, remind them about the extent to which um, the history of conspiracy theories is 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 very much tied to the history of anti-Semitism, right. um, and 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 you know, almost try to embarrass people into not um, flirting with these theories. So 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 that's the sort of twin track strategy. That, that I would recommend, but of course, it's not going to work with the true believers, right? Because they're, you know, they're, they're going to be completely impervious to, to to what I've just said, as you know, as they are to pretty much everything until reality actually bites, um, and 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 you know, they discover through their own lived experience that their theory is wrong, as as happened with QAnon, and maybe you know, is happening to COVID deniers who get COVID. You know, you can deny it, but uh, when you get it, well, then uh, you know, things change. So that's the sort of strategy I would um, I, I would suggest, but very much focused on the conspiracy curious and not the true believers. Excellent, um, Kasim. This is a really great place uh, uh, to 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 bring our discussion today uh, to a close. I really want to thank you uh, for joining me today on the Why We Argue podcast. Well, thanks very much. That was that was great. Some very very interesting questions. Fabulous. Um, So you've been listening to the Why We Argue podcast, the Future of Truth edition. 
thanks as always to our podcast team. Toby Napolitano at the University of California at Merced handles our sound. Elizabeth Della Zazara at the University of Connecticut Humanities Institute is our communications coordinator. And Drew Johnson handles research at the University of Connecticut for us. We also want to give special thanks to Matt Gariglia for his creative inspiration. The podcast, once again, is produced by the University of Connecticut Humanities Institute's Future of Truth Project with generous funding from the University of Connecticut and the Henry Luce Foundation. Thank you for listening and bye for now.